welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every week, decisions are made across Maine that affect the future of our environments. Lawmakers in Augusta propose or debate new bills. Mainers speak up on proposals made by corporations or state agencies. Clean energy projects are launched, or communities take action to address threats to clean air or water or open spaces that they cherish. Since 1959, NRCM has been on the front lines, tracking these developments and tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law. NRCM does this to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. So every two weeks, we'll sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories you need to know about and what lies ahead. Thank you for listening as we share our view from the front lines. Hi, I'm Colin Durant, NRCM's Advocacy Communications Director, and I'm here once again with our Advocacy Director, Pete Didesheim, to give you the inside scoop on the latest news impacting the health of Maine's people and the environment. Well, Pete, the legislature's work is really starting to heat up with lawmakers returning to Augusta to meet in person this week at the Augusta Civic Center, and dozens of public hearings have already happened on Zoom and are scheduled. Um, With that in mind, what's caught your attention over the past two weeks uh, that you think people should really know about? Well, first, before I get started, I should acknowledge that this really is the one-year mark for the pandemic. This was the week last year when the state shut down, including the legislature. I grabbed everything from my office and took it home, as did everybody at NRCM. It was shortly after the first COVID case was confirmed in Maine. So this has been a devastating year. Uh, Things are starting to look up, it seems. But many have lost their lives and livelihoods and the damage has been and continues to be widespread. So we've had to adapt, including the legislature, but I just wanted to you know, say that at the outset. And now turning to the legislature, yeah, the pace really has picked up. We've had one significant early victory to report. The Environment and Natural Resource Committee voted recently against three bills that would have overturned Maine's ban on single-use plastic bags. So that's good news. And I expect another positive vote soon on a bill that would impose an arbitrary cap on the amount of public land in Maine. The hearing was held last week. There was lots of great testimony about the value of public lands, especially now with more people visiting state parks than ever. Three million, record-setting three million, uh, visited our parks last year in 2020 alone. And let me mention just one other bill that uh, had a recent public hearing. The legislation would ban aerial spraying of herbicides in forestry operations. More than 50 people gave testimony, great testimony, in support of the bill from the Maine Wilderness Guides Association, Maine Organic Milk Producers, lots of organic farmers, Maine Youth for Climate Justice, NRCM, lots of conservation groups. People really are concerned about the public health and environmental impacts of aerial spraying of glyphosate on clear cuts, and the bill would ban uh, the spraying of glyphosate. But I would have to say the fate of this bill is still a bit uncertain. Uh, The forest products industry testified strongly against the bill. Yeah, although the the bill does have one prominent backer, uh, Senate President Troy Jackson. So we'll we'll certainly be tracking that. He's a logger and he has seen firsthand the impacts of aerial spraying on clear cuts up in his part of the state, which is up near uh, the the town of Allagash. Well, Shifting gears, one of the biggest uh, environmental stories over the past few weeks was the announcement by Summit Natural Gas that they were scrapping their proposed $90 million uh, gas pipeline to Midcoast, Maine. 
the plan faced blistering opposition at public meetings from residents and elected officials who noted how inconsistent it was with Maine's new, with the goals in Maine's new climate action plan. Uh, and the Bangor Daily News came out over the weekend with a story in which you were quoted highlighting the Midcoast's uh, legacy of blo blocking dirty energy projects. So can I, I'd love to just dive into that. Can you give us a little context into Summit's decision, but also more broadly, what you see as the takeaways? Well, the big takeaway for me was that this action just shows how strong the environmental ethic is of Maine people and communities who repeatedly, in all parts of the state, just, you know, not just the Midcoast, they demonstrate how much they care about preserving the character of Maine. And as I think about this within the sweep of the last 50 years, it's pretty clear to me that if not for local efforts like this, like the, what we just saw with the summit proposed natural gas pipeline, we would have had massive oil refineries in Eastport all the way down to Sanford, a coal-fired power plant in Bucksport, a coal gasification plant in Wiscasset, liquefied natural gas farms from Robinston to Searsport to Harpswell. So big takeaway for me is there's no question that Maine would be a different, more industrialized, more polluted, less sustainable, and frankly, less livable place if not for the work of local activists that have stopped polluting projects over the last 50 years. NRCM has been proud to have been a partner with many of those efforts. And so we feel that we have played a role in helping protect the character of Maine, just like these many local communities have done. Yeah, you sure paint a different picture of what Maine would have been of, of these industrial sites causing uh, pollution up and down Maine's coast. So it's great to have you know that local activism. The, the summit decision did seem a little bit different, right? Because it involved a natural gas pipeline, not a power plant, but a pipeline that would have been buried underground. Right, exactly. And this is where the analysis gets a little bit interesting. So there's definite similarities. Summit's $90 million gas proposal was a big energy project backed by an out-of-state fossil fuel company generating lots of local opposition with local groups. And in this case, the state, uh, the Sierra Club playing an important role. But this case was different. It wasn't motivated by the prospect of visible air and water pollution, but rather it was driven by a concern for our climate. So saying no to this project was saying no to further dependence on fossil fuels. It was about our society and what we need uh, to get to for the year 2050, which is net zero greenhouse gas emissions. So this is what moving away from fossil fuels looks like saying no to new infrastructure that further locks us into fossil fuels. You know, one could simplistically say that some of these past oppositions to big energy projects involved what's kind of derogatorily say, <laughs> referred to as not in my backyard thinking, um, where the concern is about immediate local pollution impacts. But now we're seeing opposition to projects tied to fossil fuels that involve what I think is not in anybody's backyard thinking, with concern about impacts upstream where the natural gas is being extracted and about the impacts globally when these fossil fuels are burned. And I think that's a more sophisticated evolution of, of the environmental ethic in the state. We're thinking globally, literally, and acting locally. Yeah, this seems more akin to the decisions that 
I've read about nationally about some communities banning natural gas outright in new homes and buildings. Definitely. Do you see it that way? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some of those stories too. Dozens of cities have voted to ban natural gas hookups to new homes or are considering such action. And these are communities that have adopted strong goals for renewable energy development or for climate action. So saying no to more fossil fuel hookups makes sense. Now, of course, the fossil fuel industry is now trying to prevent towns from limiting natural gas hookups. And unfortunately, they're making some headway. Uh, but there's other examples. There was a great story this week in the New York Times about the German town of Heidelberg adopting strict limits on vehicles in the city, motivated by concerns about the climate. So they're saying no to vehicles and making their city more livable. And also termination of the Keystone XL pipeline, the Dakota Access pipeline also fit in this category of turning away from fossil fuels as we seek to accelerate renewables. People are saying enough with the build out of fossil fuel infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, and they said it resoundingly in the mid coast, right? And it was particularly inspiring for me to see, you know, the local groups that you mentioned, like Renew Rockland, Sierra Club Maine to, you know, really be and the elected officials who spoke out, the dispensing of this notion that we know is pushed by the fossil fuel industry, that we, natural gas is a bridge fuel. It's something we have to be using. Yeah, it's um, not the bridge people want. No, no, not at all. Um, and I also think it's worth noting that, you know, um, this is a community that also knows, the Midcoast that also knows we have the solutions in hand, right? So many Midcoast towns, many towns up and down the coast are pursuing large uh, medium-sized solar projects that are going to save that you know taxpayers' money and that are going to reduce pollution, um, help help cut you know elect costs on electricity bills. Um, and Camden voters just greenlighted a multi-million-dollar energy efficiency program. Also, news hit this week. There's you know big story in the Portland Press Herald that um, large battery storage projects are being planned in Maine. There's already uh, one in Yarmouth where I live. Um, in Wyman Station, um, that could be really critical for storing and releasing renewable energy, helping build a more resilient grid. Um, yeah, and just so so what we're seeing, and we've seen this throughout the last fifty years, is Mainers opposing damaging projects from happening, while also supporting positive uh, projects and policies. Mm. Uh, and in the in the legislative arena. What we've seen in the state is many first in the nation efforts to put in place the sort of safety net for our environment that Maine people really want. So it's that it's like the yin and the yang of environmentalism here. We're seeing mm -hmm. we don't we're saying what we don't want, and we're also uh, rallying in support of the sort of policies that we do want, and and that's what has helped protect the character of this state. Yeah, and those policies are making a big difference in people's lives. Um, well, let's let's shift gears. I know. You know, as we talked about in the beginning, the legislature is well underway. There's several public hearings coming up in the next few weeks that I know NRCM and our advocates are going to be paying attention to. We'll be sending you, our supporters, lots of emails about. So let's um, let's just uh, take a look at, um, you know, from your point of view, what the next two weeks look like. What are some of the big hits of what's coming up? Well, next week there's a hearing. It's not out, It's not within the legislative process. It's uh, an administrative hearing. The Department of Marine Resources is holding a. This has been a rescheduled hearing. Um, a, a storm caused it to reschedule it. It's on their Kennebec River management plan, and this is an opportunity to focus on the need to remove four dams in the river that threaten the survival of 
of the endangered Atlantic salmon. And that's an important hearing. We're going to be uh, speaking strongly in support of dam removal in the, in the Kennebec. Uh, there's also some important hearings next week on three bad bills aimed at blocking solar energy development in the state. So just when solar is most needed and is gaining huge momentum, several lawmakers have introduced bills to slam the brakes on, on solar. So uh, those are bad bills. We hope to defeat them. We're also going to be testifying on a number of bills that do relate to the CMP quarter. So we supported three bills. Um, we're going to be supporting three bills that would prevent Hydro-Quebec, which is owned by the government of Quebec, from meddling in Maine's elections. And this was a bill that was pending last year, right when the uh, pandemic hit. In fact, it was the last bill I testified in support of. And we think the bill would have passed. Um, had the legislature stayed in session. And Hydro-Quebec has now spent nearly $10 million uh, on a campaign to persuade Mainers to support the Hydro-Quebec CMP quarter. So we're gonna be supporting bills to shut that loophole and shut down Hydro-Quebec's meddling in our elections. There's also gonna be hearing on a bill that would require a two thirds vote of the Maine legislature for any lease for access by a transmission line across publicly owned land. The CMP corridor has a lease. We think it's an illegal lease. They should have received a, or sought to re receive a two-thirds vote in the legislature, and they didn't. And this bill would require them to do so. Yeah, and you know, talking about CMP, one thing that uh, we can't forget to mention is Congressman Golden sent a letter to the Biden administration, asking them to revisit, review, and revisit, reevaluate. Um, the presidential permit that the previous administration rushed to get out the door with no public comment. Um, and so that was a that's a great sign for the project too, that um, he's speaking up for the public's right to be involved in these consequential um, huge projects. Yeah, we hope that they overturn that that decision by the outgoing Trump administration and review it and give the public more opportunity to take a look at that. For sure. Well, thanks, Pete. This is this is all super exciting, and it's NRCM's bread and butter, right? Working with our supporters, Mainers everywhere, to fight against bad projects, uh, but more importantly, working to build a better future by strengthening the laws that provide a safety net for our environment, uh, help put, put point us toward that healthier, more sustainable future. So, with that in mind, I just wanted to end this episode with a quick reminder. Uh, that NRCM Citizen Action Day is coming up on Tuesday, March 30th. That's where you're going to hear from several of our advocates about the priority bills we're working on, some of which you've heard about here. Um, we'll be holding it online on Zoom, and so you're going to be able to join us from the comfort of your own home, your couch, wherever you Zoom. Um, and you can learn more about this event and register by visiting our website at nrcm.org and then clicking on the events tab. Uh, so be sure to mark your calendars. And thanks, as always, thanks for listening. And thanks, Pete, for giving us uh, your, your two cents on what's going on around Maine. Thanks, Colin. It's always a pleasure. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast listening apps. To learn more about NRCM, please visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at NRCM Environment. Until next time... 
Thanks for your interest, attention, and involvement in the collective efforts by Maine people to protect the unique woods, waters, and wildlife of our state. Thanks again.